It's a privilege to be here. He told me how to stand behind this microphone. <laughs> I'm not used to standing right behind a microphone, but I will do my best. Is that loud enough? Is that okay? All right. Thank you for the invitation. And uh, I'm going to try to do my best share with you and uh, what the Lord's done to me and through me. I'm really a very shy person. I'm soft-spoken and shy. And then the Lord saved me and called me to preach. And, uh, you know, he, he just didn't tolerate that. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. I want to give you a couple scriptures before I get in my testimony. Because I think everything that we do, we ought to have a biblical basis for. And if we don't, let's not do it. In Acts chapter 9, we have a very familiar story to the church age, and it's the Saul, who later became Paul, gets saved. If you want to hear about how a Jewish man gets saved, right here it is. And we have details to him. Now, he must have been a hard case because the Lord had to knock him to the ground. A little hard-headed, maybe. And Saul got saved in Acts chapter 9. If you'll turn over to Acts chapter 22... We have Saul, Paul now, same man, his name got changed because his nature got changed. In, in Acts chapter 22, we have Paul getting up and preaching to a large group of people. And guess what he does in Acts chapter 22? He gives his testimony to this large group of people. He testifies and recounts what happened in Acts chapter 9. Well, why do we have to have it here if we have it there? Because Paul was talking to the whole crowd, and uh, they wanted to kill him, and so he testified to them. And uh, so, you know, he, he, he had that opportunity. Turn over to just two more chapters, Acts chapter 26, and Paul again is testifying, gives his testimony here, how what happened in Acts chapter 9, but he's telling this to an individual. So apparently, giving a salvation testimony is good for an individual or for a group. And if we had time to take these three chapters and look at them point by point, you notice that Paul didn't say the exact same thing in both times. A testimony is not something I think that we should memorize by rote memory. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, it needs to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Whether you're talking to a group or an individual, what does that group or individual need? Um, I, I started preaching a long time ago. I have five children, and for many years I didn't pastor. I, I worked at the Bible college and preached around, and my children would say, uh, Daddy, my, my children never said, Daddy, are we going to church? They would say, Daddy, which church are we going to? Because I got invited to a lot of different churches. And uh, so I'd tell them what church we were going to. We were a member of a church that we went to if I didn't have an invitation to preach. And they'd, we'd go and they'd say, Daddy, are you going to tell them how you got saved? And I said, probably. I think it's important. Um, I, I was the pastor of a church, and I, I got up on the first, the first church I pastored, I got up on the first Sunday I was their pastor and told them how I got saved. Told them how I got called to preach. I, I, I think it's important. So I asked the church, I said, now that I told you, why don't over the next couple weeks you tell me that you're saved? So on Sunday morning, I want two or three, Sunday night, two or three, Wednesday night, two or three, and until everybody in the church gets up and tells, tells everybody else that you're saved. And uh, we did that, and that was pretty good, pretty exciting, until I had two old deacons 
and the two old deacons didn't want to do it. And they said I had no right to publicly ask them if they were saved. I, I, I thought the pastor had the right. You know, I, I thought a Christian had the right. Had somebody call me yesterday wanting information about the Bible college. He wanted a degree class and asked him if he was saved. And the guy, you know, thought that was strange, me asking him if he's saved. Wants to come to Bible college? And uh, I think that's a critical question. So, so I finally put a lot of pressure on these deacons. So one of the older deacons said he'd get up the next Sunday and would announce to the church. He'd give his testimony. And uh, this is out in the country. If you, anybody knows South Fayette County on Woolsey Brooks Road. There's an Antioch Baptist church down there. And I was pastoring it way out, further out in the country than I should have been. And uh, the old deacon gets up and this is what he said. He said, I got up one morning, went to the back, got the, hooked up the mule, went to the back 40, went out lost, came back saved, and he sat down. That was a salvation testimony. Now, it was like pulling teeth to tell, tell anybody that, and I didn't want to be too critical of it, so I just kind of let it slide. At least he said something. The next Sunday morning, his son, who was a deacon, was going to get up, and he was going to testify. So I waited with anticipation. Everybody in the church had done this now. And he got up and he said, I got up one morning, hooked up the old mule, went out to the back 40, went out lost and came back saved. Now, I probably shouldn't have said what I said. I probably shouldn't have. I said, is that mule for sale? He's a soul winningest mule I've ever known. Can I buy that mule? And the deacons got mad at me. Uh, every salvation testimony is unique. But it ought to be lined up with the Bible, shouldn't it? There's certain criteria that you should look at when somebody tells you they're saved. If they don't even mention Jesus or the Bible or Holy Spirit conviction, something is wrong. You know, but, you know, what can I say? My testimony started back in 1949. Ooh, we're going to log. You ready? You sit? And they, so they told me to just go as long as I wanted to go. <laughs> August the 12th, 1949, I was born. Now, my mom and daddy had eight children. I was the firstborn son. I became a Catholic because my mom and daddy were Catholic. I was born into a Catholic family. Now, I was the first, firstborn son seven times. Now, my daddy never explained to me the significance of that. But in our family, the firstborn son seven times is, is the priest of the family. So I was destined by my birth to be a Catholic priest. That's a heavy weight to put on a baby. You know, you're going to be a Catholic priest because I was the firstborn son of the firstborn son seven times. And I never did quite get a full explanation of that. At five and a half weeks old, I was baptized into a Catholic mission and my daddy dedicated me to the Lord. And off I went in my Catholic tradition. And there was no questioning this because this is what I was born into. And and there wasn't, well, do I want to be a Catholic? I was a Catholic. There was nothing, do I want to be a priest? You're going to be a priest. Uh, I grew up, I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, grew up in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and we played cowboys and Indians and stuff like that, cops and robbers. Well, I always was the chaplain or the preacher or the priest. You know, when somebody got killed, we had a make-believe funeral. And I got to do a funeral. What else would a preacher do? Every so often, a little boy would get sweet on a little girl, 
and we'd pretend have a wedding, and I would officiate the wedding, especially if cake was involved. We tried to get one of the mothers to make a wedding cake. And uh, so I grew up with this mindset, I'm going to be a priest. At six years old, I went to Catholic school, and the first day of school, I had to wear a white shirt and tie. All my days in school, I had to wear a white shirt and tie. That was just the, the uniform. That was it. People now say, what do you wear a tie for? I've been wearing a tie a long time. In fact, I kind of feel naked without a tie. And so, you know, I went to uh, Nicaragua, and they said, nobody down here wears a tie. I wore a tie. And uh, went to South Africa on a mission trip, wore a tie there. You know, what, what are you doing wearing a tie? It just, I've been doing it so long, okay? So, so I'm going to church. I'm, I'm doing all the things that a Catholic boy destined to be a priest. I was going to finish Catholic high school, go to seminary, and be a Catholic priest. There was no questions about it. That was my destiny in life. I don't remember growing up and talking about what my wife and children were going to be like because I was forbidden to have a wife and children. So that, that wasn't part of it. And uh, so I was just growing up and doing everything. I had confirmation. I had all the things. On, on confirmation, the priest came in and told our class that he was going to come and ask us certain questions. And we had to memorize the answers. When he asked this question, this is the answer he gave us. So this, this was weeks of, of training and weeks of... So the day came that he came in and asked us questions. I told him exactly what he wanted me to answer him. And he said that confirmed that I was a Christian. No, that just confirmed I remembered what he told me and that I was going to do exactly what he said to do, which in the Catholic world that I grew up in, that was the only option. You know, it's either being a Catholic or going to hell. I mean, that, those were the only two options that I saw. The Catholic Church was the only true church in the world, and you were a Catholic or you weren't. And it was just that simple. And I didn't have any problem with that. Didn't think about it, didn't have any problem with it, and, and I grew up. Now, some things happened in, your fa in my family at, that created some doubts. And uh, I, I didn't fully understand them until I got older and looked back on them. And, and you know, as a child, what do you do? My mother wasn't raised Catholic. She signed papers and agreed to get married to my daddy. She had to agree to raise all the children Catholic. Well, I had an aunt that did the same thing. And my aunt Helen married my Uncle Bob and had a family. And they were Catholic, so they went to another Catholic church. But we, we spent the night and we interacted and everything. And uh, I, I, we were involved, you know, Catholic families. And uh, one day she just took the kids next door and said, I'm running to the grocery store, and she never came back. Aunt Helen disappeared. And so that's devastating to the family. And so the, the, the parish priest came in, and as a little boy, I probably was eight, nine years old, the parish priest said to my Uncle Bob, you're better off without her. Now, I don't know. I've never seen my Aunt Helen since then. I don't know how bad she was. She, she may have, you know, she may have been terrible. I don't know. For, for an eight or nine-year-old to be told your, fa your aunt uncle's family is better off without her, just leave her go. And as far as I know, that, that was the end of her. Well, that was strange. But the Catholic Church has the right to decide what they're going to decide and decide who's going who's not. They have the keys. You all know that, don't you? The Catholic Church teaches that they have the keys to heaven and hell. And so, uh, you know, that was just a strange thing. Well, 
my eighth, my mother and mom and daddy's eighth child, I was about 15 years old, and my mama had a baby, a little girl, and she died at five weeks old. And in the Catholic Church, they invented more than two places. The Bible teaches you go to heaven or hell. The Catholic Church has invented at least two other places, limbo and purgatory. And uh, I don't have time to deal with all that, but at least four places to go. And a baptized baby who dies can't go to heaven, an unbaptized baby who dies. So my, my sister died of SIDS at five weeks old. She was scheduled to be baptized in a couple of days. And my mother, when she found her dead daughter, didn't baptize her. And this is devastating. It's the only time laymen are allowed to baptize in the Catholic Church when they find somebody dead. So my mother, before calling 911, they didn't have called the ambulance at that time, but when she called, she uh, found my daughter, sister dead, and she was supposed to go and get some water and baptize her. She didn't. She panicked. And uh, so the priest came out. They, they took her to the hospital, came back, and going to have funeral arrangements. And if you weren't a Catholic, you don't know that there's different soil in the cemetery. There's sanctified soil and unsanctified soil in cemeteries. And you can't go to heaven being buried on the wrong side of the cemetery. you got to be buried in the right side of the cemetery. And so I knew that. And that was just a normal thing. So my mother has to arrange for funeral uh, arrangements for her daughter, my sister. And uh, the priest comes in with a little checkboard asking questions and said, uh, now, did you baptize her? And my mother said, no, I didn't baptize her. Well, if you didn't baptize her, we can't bury her in sanctified soil. My mother's devastated. You mean to tell me my daughter can't go to heaven because something that I failed to do? And the priest said, yeah, pretty much. But my mother's devastated over the fact that her daughter just died. And so she's crying, she's weeping and going on. And the priest was a little bit compassionate about it. So he said, you tell me that you baptized her, and I'll check this box, and then we can bury her in sanctified soil, then she can go to heaven. Well, that was the wrong thing to say to Mama at the wrong time. And my mom said, do I get that straight? If I lie to you, my daughter can go to heaven. If I tell you the truth, my daughter can't go to heaven. He said, yeah, pretty much. My mama threw him out of the house. <laughs> I don't think my mama ever considered herself a Catholic after that. Now, I was 15 years old. Mama said I didn't have to go to church anymore if I didn't want to. And up until that time, I was faithful. She took me from Catholic school to Protestant school, to I mean, to public school. And uh, so I, if I wanted to go to church, I could go to church. Well, I wanted to go to church. I like going to church. I, I thought it was kind of neat. And uh, so I'd go to church, but I was a teenager. And about a half a mile going this way was the church, but about a half a mile going this way was the bowling alley. And every Sunday morning, I got up to dress to go to church, okay? But the bowling alley usually had stronger pull. <laughs> Sometimes I headed to the church, but that pull over to the bowling alley. So uh, we played pool and shot, shot pool over there on Sunday morning. And uh, so, so I, I was confused. What am I going to do? And uh, I'm not going to Catholic church now. I'm not going to Catholic school now. What am I going to do? Well, my mom and daddy uh, had some marital trouble after the death of their daughter, after my sister died, which, by the way, is very common. And uh, it's hard to work through something like that.
And I don't think you can do it naturally. I think you need some supernatural help now. Um, didn't understand that then. But for my 17th birthday, I wanted mom and daddy to give me a gift. I wanted them to sign the papers saying I could go into the United States Marine Corps. I was tired of being rules and regulations, and I wanted to be free. <laughs> I didn't know much about the Marine Corps. I knew their dress blues looked good. They didn't know anything about freedom. I had a, Some nights I had to sleep at attention. We had to eat at attention. They told me what to eat. You know, in boot camp, I, only had to go to the, I could only go to the bathroom when they told me to go to the bathroom. They do. And uh, you just don't have freedom. But I thought that's... Well, when I went in the Marine Corps, they said... Uh, are you, they said, on your dog tag, we got four choices in the United States Marine Corps. This was in 1966, if you're keeping track. And uh, they said, you, are you a Catholic, a Jew, a Protestant, or an atheist? In the United States Marine Corps in 1966, you got four choices, but we have no atheist. You have four choices, but the United States Marine Corps doesn't have any atheist. Now, they didn't have to tell me that twice. I understood that. Let's see, the Catholics hate the Jews, so I'm not going to say I'm a Jew. And the Catholics taught, were taught us that all Protestants were a religion started by the devil. So I didn't want to be affiliated with the devil. I didn't want to be with the Christ killers. So I said I was a Catholic. So at, at 17 years old in the Marine Corps, at least then I'm still thinking I'm a Catholic. Well, at 18, they decide it's time to send me to Vietnam. So an 18-year-old boy going to Vietnam, and uh, I, I go over there, and I was a tank mechanic for my first year, and then they decided to put me in the infantry. And uh, we were having so many infantrymen dying that uh, tank mechanics didn't die that frequently, and they had to replace some infantrymen, so they put me in the infantry, gave me a rifle, and said, go, boy. And, uh, okay, so what are you going to do? So I land in Vietnam, and there's Marines getting on the plane, as we're getting off the plane. I mean, as quickly, it was a commercial plane that we landed, and uh, we're getting off, and they're getting on. So we're talking to them as they're going. They've been there 13 months. We're starting our 13 months. And uh, so they tell me, you'll be okay. This is a piece of cake. No problem. Just stay away from 1-9. That was a designation of one of the outfits. I said, okay, I'll stay away from 1-9. I think I can do that. 1-9, that's pretty easy to remember. So I went up and got my papers, and they said, report to 1-9. 18 years old on the other side of the world, you know. Okay, I don't know what that means, but that's probably not good. So I go over to report to 1-9, and they said, some of the guys said, oh, 1-9 is not bad as long as you stay away from Delta Company. Delta Company's the bad company in 1-9. I said, okay. So I went up and got my orders. Report to Delta Company. <laughs> this is not a good plan. All right? So I asked them and a whole bunch of people around me, all of us were going to Delta 1-9. I said, why is so many people at one time going to Delta 1-9? Well, they just had our B-52 bombers drop bombs and wipe out Delta, the whole company, Delta 1-9, was killed by our bombs. The bombs were supposed to drop on the northern end of the DMZ, and they dropped on the southern end and wiped out Delta 1-9. So now i got to go to the same place that they were and replace them. As an 18-year-old boy, that's kind of scary. But that's okay. You know, I'm a Marine, and nothing can hurt me. 
So they sent me to the Contian. It's on the DMZ in about the middle of the country, up on the DMZ, the Milrise Zone, which separated North and South Vietnam. And I'm up there, and there's people literally wanting to kill me. Literally. Now, I told you I grew up in Philadelphia, and there were street gangs, and there was fighting, and I heard about people getting murdered in Philadelphia. But I didn't want to be the one to get murdered. I wasn't murdering anybody. I was in a street gang one time. But we, if you, if you didn't want to get hurt, we didn't hit anybody who was on the ground. So if you fell on the ground or you said, uncle, you didn't get hurt. And I didn't want to get hurt, so I was the first one to fall on the ground. Uncle, uncle, you know. So it wasn't a really bad street gang, you know. And, uh, I, I, you know, I, I didn't want to get hurt. I just didn't think that was a good plan. So I'm up at Contian, and they're shooting at us. There was an outhouse, and uh, every time you went to the outhouse, we had a sniper that shot at you. So if you had to go to the bathroom, you're going to get shot at. So you had to duck bullets going and coming. And uh, this, this is a strange thing. And people around me are dying. And the only ones that was on this base is Marines. So the only ones that were dying were Marines. The only ones that died there recently was Marines. So I started thinking about eternity. Don't you think that's a good time? When somebody's trying to kill you, think about eternity. So there's about 75 Marines on that hill. And one day we get notice that a Catholic priest is coming to the hill. He's going to come and have mass. We had no chaplains on there. Had no, you know, we, we were just a listening post. In fact, the purpose of Contien on the DMZ was if North Vietnam attacked to, to, to flood South Vietnam, we were supposed to get a radio signal off before they killed us. That was the purpose of our base. So, so the priest is coming out, and his helicopter lands, and I find out there's only two Catholics on the whole hill, me and one other guy. And so I went to the priest, and I said, Father, I'm not ready to die. I'm afraid I'm going to die, and I'm not ready. And he patted me on the head and said, you'll be okay, son. I said, no, you don't understand. I'm not ready to die. And people around here are dying. So he said, well, let's have confession. I confessed everything I did, everything I thought about doing, everything I wanted to do. And I made up some things that I didn't even ever do just to cover the bases. I wanted to be sure. We had, conf we had confession. We had uh, mass. We had con uh, communion. And, and by the way, normally in the Catholic mass, it usually runs about 25 minutes. There's only two of us in there, the priest and two of us. The mass lasted about five minutes. I don't know what he forgot or what he went through. He just went through it fast. And uh, so the mass is over. The other Catholic walks away. And I said, Father, I'm still not ready to die. He said, you'll be okay, son. You'll be okay. And he went and jumped on his helicopter. who was sitting there running the whole time. And he flew off. 18 years old, on the other side of the world, and he is my mediator. He's the only mediator I have between heaven and earth, and he's flying away. And as an 18-year-old boy, I stood there with my mouth open thinking, what am I going to do now? My contact with heaven. I poured my heart out. I was as honest with him as I could, and he's leaving. And I stood there with my mouth open, and somebody who I have no idea who he was, he was dressed like a Marine, walked by me and handed me a green, this is a, an orange one, but handed me a green Gideon New Testament 
and said, what you need to do is read this. And it dawned on me, and I'm 18 years old, and that's the first time anybody told me I need to read the Bible. Isn't that a radical idea? Been in church most of my life, been religious, did everything the church told me to do, and nobody ever told me I needed to read this. I need to read the book? Wow. I had a lot of time on my hands. We, we didn't have much to do. At nighttime, I had to go into an office. My job at that base was to go in an office, a bunker, and there was a phone there, and they said, if the phone rings, pick it up and answer it and do whatever they tell you to do. Good thing is it never rang while I was on duty, so I never knew what they were going to tell me to do, stand on your head, run out. I don't know what they were going to tell me. They never told me to do anything, so the phone never rang. So we had a coffee pot there, had a light, so I read the New Testament through. I read Psalms and Proverbs. I got confused because this book didn't line up with this church that I was a member of. There seems to be something wrong between the book and the church. And I believe this was God's book. So I decided the problem was with me, so I read it again. Read the New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs again. And then I came to a revelation. God didn't exist. And the reason I came to that revelation is if, if the Catholic Church was the one true church and the Bible's the one true book, why couldn't he keep them together? And I found some confusing things. My favorite holiday in the Catholic Church was Ash Wednesday. I don't know if you all know about Ash Wednesday, but the 40 days before Easter, the beginning of Lent, you go to Mass, and it's usually a high Mass, and in part of the service, they take ashes and put a big black cross on your forehead. Now, I like that, because it showed how religious I was. And I didn't want a little old cross. You put a big one up there. If I was going to go through all that, I wanted a big one. Well, because I was in Catholic school, most of the students had the big cross on their head. And so after school, I went downtown and walked in and out every store. And I, I didn't point to it, but I sure did want everybody to see. You see how religious, how pious I am? I, I got the cross on my forehead. Isn't that a sign that I'm religious? Look at my, and I'd walk around. I was amazed when I read in this book, Jesus said, when you fast, wash your face and comb your hair and don't let anybody know you're fasting. How come my favorite day was the opposite of what Jesus said to do? How come I was taught and encouraged? That's good. Go show them you're a good little Catholic boy. And then I read over there about a bishop, and a bishop is over a priest, and it says the bishop must be the husband of one wife. That's what it says. Well, wait a minute. A priest can't be married, and surely bishops can't be married. And uh, so I was confused about lots of things. So I told God he didn't exist because he couldn't keep everything in order. He didn't buy it. I argued with him for five years. I'm here to tell you I didn't win the argument. And uh, I'd like to reflect, if I had time, on some of the discussions I had with him about explaining to God that he doesn't exist. How many times do you got to tell God he doesn't exist before he believes you? I said from the pulpit one time, I said, God doesn't believe in atheism. You hear that? And the devil's not so dumb that he would be an atheist. The devil's not an atheist. Had somebody who was back there, and he got mad at me because he was an atheist. Well, if you want to be that dumb, you know, dumber than the devil. That's pretty dumb in my opinion. 
So I came back from Vietnam. I didn't die. I did get wounded and uh, came back from Vietnam. And the Lord kept working on me. And I kept trying to stick stuff between me and God. I, I tried drugs for a while, I tried alcohol for a while, I tried money. I decided if I could make enough money, God wouldn't bother me anymore. Now I couldn't make enough money. And uh, so finally, a little church up the street, my wife and I, we were married at that time and having children. My wife was big, right, pregnant like, like Kelly is. She was, I, I think this was in July and Jeanette had the baby in, in August. And uh, the baby looked like he was staying at attention. And she said, let's walk up the street to this church. And I didn't know anything about a Baptist church, but at Hill Street Baptist Church in Marietta. And we walked up there and uh, we attended the church. And I didn't know anything about a Baptist church. I didn't know anything about preaching. But the preacher did what's called expository preaching. He opened the Bible and read and explained the Bible. And then wherever he stopped, he said, that's where we'll pick up next week. He expounded the scriptures. And he not only knew what the Bible said, but he believed what the Bible said. In my Catholic church that I grew up in, St. David's Catholic Church, they, uh, they had a, a, a practice where the priest had to read a certain passage. On, on a particular Sunday, he had to read the scripture. So he'd get in the pulpit, and he'd read the scripture, and then he'd close his Bible. And I remember hearing the echo of the Bible being closed all through the building. And then he'd preach, and his preaching had nothing to do with what he read. And I think, you know, well, what? later on I found out that the Pope tells him what scripture to read, but he can say anything he wants about it. So that, that, that's probably not a real good plan, but that was what was happening. And uh, so, but Preacher Clark, he would read the scriptures, explain them to us, and the next week we'd pick back up on it and go, and I thought, now that's pretty neat. Well, as a result of that, I started to find out what the Bible said about me. And the Bible said I was a sinner and falling short of the glory of God and that I deserved eternity in the lake of fire. Woo! I tried to explain to God that didn't exist because I told him he didn't exist that I was Catholic. Hadn't been a Catholic for five years, but when the pressure comes, what do you, you got to pull the card, anything you can, you know. And he said, being a Catholic's not going to help you. So as the preacher preached from the Word of God, and I heard the Word of God, I became convicted that I was a sinner and that being religious wasn't enough. And I was trying to work my way to heaven. And what's that do to God's grace and the free gift of God if I'm working for it? So I really wrestled with this and wrestled with it. And one day I was sitting in church and the preacher really got to me and I got up, we had pews, and I grabbed the back of the pew. And the Lord started to deal with my heart. Now, the preacher said that God draws you. And that God's involved in this process. Not just the preacher. God has to be involved. And the God, God was dealing with my heart, and I squeezed the back of that pew so hard. And I prayed to the God that I told that didn't exist. I said, Lord, could you get this service over with? I'm feeling uncomfortable in here. I was so embarrassed. I think my fingerprints are probably still in the pew. That's how tight I squeezed it. I said, let me out of here. The service was over. I left, and I told my wife, I'll never go back to church again. Why would you go to church to feel uncomfortable? But God didn't want me to feel uncomfortable. 
By the way, I didn't even know what uncomfortable was. Sunday night I was under conviction. All day Monday I was under conviction. All day Tuesday I was under conviction. Why didn't somebody tell me you can get saved during the week? I thought the only time you get saved is on Sunday morning. Guess where I was on Sunday morning? Back in church. There was nothing that was going to stop me from going to church on Sunday morning. It's a typical old established Baptist church. And in that Baptist church, every pew was full when I got there. And I usually get there early, except the front pew. And I had to sit on the front pew because every other pew was full. What doesn't the first pew have? Anything to hold on to. <laughs> so the preacher preaches, and the preacher was very systematic, and he said, God's changed my message today. And he says, I'm going to give you five reasons why you need to get saved today. Now that's strange because Saturday night I gave the Lord five reasons why I wasn't ever going to get saved. And the preacher preached five reasons why you ought to get saved today. Now, what do you think I did when the invitation was given? Kind of aggravated me. The preacher said the, the first note on the piano, when the, when the organ and the pianist hit the first note, the altar's open. Why would you wait? I was praying that they'd get up there, hit the note, hit a note! Somebody hit a note! First note was hit, and I fell on my face at the altar and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what the Lord did? He saved me. How much did it cost me? It didn't cost me anything. It cost him his son on the cross. All I had to do was believe in and accept it. And when I accepted it, he took the weight of my sins off of me. I literally felt sin, the weight of sin, leaving me. Hill Street Baptist Church, every so often I go back there, and some of the people that were there, that was in 1972 and that I got saved. And uh, some of the people that were back there then, they still know me, and they said, uh, you got radically saved. How many different kinds of saved is there? If you didn't get saved all over, what kind of saved did you get? A partial, a temporary, what kind of salvation is there? I got radically saved. I'm not saved for the now. I'm not just saved today. I got saved for eternity. Forever. By the way, you know what happened the day I got saved? I entered eternal life. If you read John 3.16, when you believe, you get everlasting life. Most of us think we get it when we die. One of the doctrines that the Catholic Church has is that when you die, you'll find out if you're going to heaven or not. I always thought that was a bad plan. I got to die to find out? Yeah. No, I didn't think that was a good plan. I know that I've trusted Jesus, and I know I'm going to heaven. Totally based on Jesus. About a year later, 73, God called me to preach. I answered the call to preach. My aunts up in Philadelphia... I've been communicating with them. They were still Catholics, and I wanted them to experience the same salvation I had. So I, I talked to them about the Lord. They reported me to St. David's Catholic Church in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, that I was now a Baptist preacher. It was bad that I was a Baptist member. Now I'm a Baptist preacher. 
And I've been told I've been officially excommunicated from the Catholic Church. They didn't invite me. I don't know why they didn't invite me. They didn't even invite me to my own excommunication service. My aunts went. And I imagine what they did. They probably had a piece of paper with my name on it, tore it up and stomped on it. I don't know what they did. But they sent word to me that I can't go to heaven because they've locked the door. Now, what should a saved preacher's response be to that? My response was, you ain't got the keys and you don't know the door. You can't do anything with my salvation. That's how saved I am. You can't, you didn't give it to me. You didn't take it from me. So I'm officially excommunicated, which is okay. They say, I can't go to heaven unless I repent and come back to the Catholic Church. What's your chances I'm going to give up with what I got to get what I gave up? You know, you can't work your way to heaven. In John chapter 3, you remember that story about Nicodemus? Sometimes I preach that. And the story of Jesus talking to Nicodemus, he said to him, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. You know who he was talking to? A religious man. And, and I believe what the Bible says, that people are going to die and go to hell. I, I think if you're going to die and go to hell, you probably ought to go and die, go, die and go to hell from having a party. Shouldn't you? Go, go, get a, go have a drunken orgy and die and go to hell. You probably deserve it. Go ahead. Uh, you ought to shoot drugs in your arms or sniff it up your nose. Die and go to hell. You probably deserve it. You know, Go rob a bank and have a shootout with police. You know what bothers me? There's people in church who are going to die and go to hell. Because they think, because I go to church, I'm going to go to heaven. No. This is the wrong place to die and go to hell from, isn't it? Will you hear the gospel? Will you hear the invitation about Jesus? Do you know how easy it is for you to get saved? All you got to do is ask the Lord to save you. Now, what would bring you to that place? You got to give up on what's... You, you're going to have to stop trying to save yourself. This church can't do it. This preacher can't do it. I can't do it. We can't save you. Sometimes people say, well, well, Brother Ed, uh, can't you save me? I said, I couldn't save me. What makes you think I can save you? If I could save me, I'd have a chance with you. I can't save you, but I can point to somebody who can. If you're sitting here this morning and God's worked on your heart and you're convinced that you're not saved. By the way, it's not my job to, to talk anybody into being lost. It isn't. That's the Holy Spirit's job. To convict your heart. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your Savior? I think that's pretty plain. Are you saved? I don't mean any mule out in the back 40. I mean, did you get saved? Do you know you're saved? I never, never, never back off when somebody says, are you saved? I love that question. Ask me. Don't ask me and then walk away because I got an answer for you. And I love telling people how I got saved. I would hate for you to come to church and then be a, be a nice person, be a, a blessing to the community, be a blessing to the church, and just missed being born again. Isn't that what Nicodemus was missing? And Jesus said to him, you must be born again. Isn't that what he tells us? Well, how does somebody get saved in your heart 
you turn to the Lord and tell him you're a sinner, which you know that, don't you? Do I need to give you some scriptures? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. I probably shouldn't tell you the story. My wife says I tell way too many stories. Uh, down near Clay and Fairground Street, there used to be a bar. My daddy was an alcoholic later in life, and, and I spent a lot of time in bars with my daddy. And so after I got saved and called to preach, I didn't mind going to the bars. I, to this day, I don't mind going to the bars. And uh, preachers just aren't supposed to go into bars. And uh, so I went into a bar, and I set my Bible down on the bar. It was in the middle of the day. And the guy, I sat right next to a guy who was drinking, and he said, Preacher! You just put that away. I don't, I don't believe one word of that book. I said, you don't. Well, praise God. I'm glad I met you today. And I shut up. He said, uh, can I buy you a drink? I said, yeah. He said, what are you drinking? I said, Coke. So he bought me a Coke. We're sitting there. And he said, preacher, what do you mean good that I don't believe one word of that book? And I said, well, it's good for me because I woke up this morning and I started reading and I read a verse that said something that I believe, but I'm glad that you don't believe it. So I'm comforted in the fact that you don't believe it. Sitting there drinking my Coke, you know. He said, preacher, what's the verse? And I said, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, that verse tells me that I'm a sinner. And he says, well, you are a sinner. I said, I thought you said you didn't believe that I was a sinner. He said, preacher, we're all sinners. If you know about the Roman road, that's where the Roman road plan of salvation starts. I went through the Roman road plan of salvation with him. He opened the door wide open. And, uh, but, but, you know, the Bible declares it. You've got to acknowledge you're a sinner. You've got to confess you're a sinner. You've got to just acknowledge it, confess that I'm a sinner. And that I won't accept Jesus as my Savior. The Holy Spirit will draw you to do that. Now, guess what happens once you do it? You just have this urge. You've got to tell somebody. The week that I held on to the pew, I told God I wasn't going to get saved because if I got saved, there was too many people. There was about 200 people there that, Monday, that Sunday morning, and I wasn't going to be a fool in front of 200 people. I just wasn't going to do it. Too many people there. If I ever do it, it's going to be a private thing. The next Sunday morning, we had about 250 people there. And as soon as I got saved, the preacher said, uh, what, what happened to you? I got up and I said, I just got saved. And I thought, there's only 250 people here. i got to tell some more. Right now, I've gone on 19 mission trips. And that's why I go on mission trips for. Tell people how to get saved. I go all around the world telling people how to get saved. I still haven't told enough. Like, that's how important this message is. Would you bow your head right where you are and ask the Lord to convince you you're saved? If you are, you ought to have that assurance and, and you ought to know for sure that you're saved. But what if there's a doubt? What if there's a hesitation in your heart? With your eyes closed and your head bowed, ask the Lord, Lord, am I saved? If I'm saved, give me the zeal, give me the assurance. And may I stand boldly for Jesus. But Father, if I'm not saved, if I have no assurance that I'm saved, if I have never accepted you as, your, as my Savior, I pray that right now 
you'll come into my heart. Father, I call on you to save me from the sin of unbelief. And I thank you for doing that. Give me the boldness to be able to share with people about the free gift of salvation. Father, I pray that you just draw some old, some young, some religious, some who just had a cold heart. We don't know who. But Father, perhaps you'll call some today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Anybody have a word before we go? I'm done, but I always like to give you a part after I speak. Anybody got a word? You don't want to say a word after I talk. I'm out there. All right. Everybody's hearts and mind clear? If you're not saved and you didn't make a decision today, don't expect the Lord to give you up. He'll chase you down. In fact, sometimes you can't even sleep if he's working on you. He'll interrupt your sleep. He'll interrupt your whole life pattern to draw you to him. Best thing I ever did. By the way, my daddy on his deathbed admitted he made a bad mistake with me. He said, son, when you were five and a half weeks old and I dedicated you to God, he said, that's not what I planned on doing. He said, I planned on dedicating you to the Catholic Church. He said, it looks like God took you before the Catholic Church got you. So I'm glad my daddy came to grips with that. He felt okay. I don't know what's going to happen. I got I got a son and a grandson. Ed Kershaw, the junior and the third. So I don't know what's going to happen when the seventh come around. I'm not going to be here. He's not going to be a Catholic priest either if I have any to do with it. I, I'm so glad to be saved. And I hope you are too. Brother?